0: Journey in the story that you've been tracking along, um, looking at these major themes the people, of God's word. We started at the very beginning, God creating the earth, the crown of His creation was people, us, and uh, He created us to have a relationship with Him and to bring Him glory. Um, we, he did not create us because He needs us. He created us because He loves us and wanted a relationship so that we can turn throughout our lives that our lives can bring Him glory no matter what we're going through. And obviously as He created man, the one of the gifts He gives to man is, uh, is, is free will. Man sends self-lordship. Basically, I'm mean, saying we're not going to do it your way, we're going to do it our way. Is kind of, I think, it's the basis of all sin is uh, doing it our way instead of God's. And that we are all affected by that. And Paul reminds us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Sin separates man from God. And the Word of God, the story is God's story of redemption and rescue, the lengths that He will go to win people back that God is love. And, and we've heard and those two words today. Uh, you know, that God's love letter and a lot of times we get our eyes on all so many different things and God is trying to get our attention to so say, I love you, I have a plan for your life. If you've been walking through the story, you oh, you will see that the central figure in all of this is Jesus. He was there in the very beginning. He was there at creation. He came to the earth. and became a human. He lived a sinless life. He died a horrible death. He took upon Himself all of our sins. And then he rose from the death, burnt from dead, and he defeated death hell, on the grave. And we looked at a few weeks ago celebrating Easter resurrection. His resurrection validated everything that he ever said about himself. And then he made a promise that he would come again, and that he would take all those who belonged to him to heaven. Last week we looked at Paul's, the end of Paul's life, and we talked and challenged our own, our own hearts about enduring to the end, a challenge encouragement. Finish the race well. I'm going to finish well. Do you? Because we're going to finish the race. We are going to come to the end of the journey at some point. I want to finish the race well to live for Jesus every day, to be on mission with Him, and to make the most of every opportunity in my own life. God, you know, God wants you to finish strong. Well. And I think with God's grace and help, we can do that. So today we're going to look at the end of the Bible, Revelation, the end of the age, and. We're going to find out how it all is going to end. So I, I hope you're. I'm surprised more people aren't here, bursting seams, finding out how it's all going to end. Because we're going to talk about that today, um, the, the return of Christ. Because of our winter, some of us were walking out this, evening know, yesterday and seeing a big blazing fire in the think sky, thinking maybe we can got all. Wait, right no, it's just the sun. But all okay. Maybe not the end times yet. It's been a long time. God, thank God for the warm weather, right? But, you know, there's so much unknown about this. There's, there's fear that surrounds at the end of the age. How is it all going to end? The Mayans, we, they thought, you know, they, were gonna, they had us ending at uh, December 21st, 2012. That came and went. Um, that, that guy, that that, remember that preacher a couple of years ago, that he had the date of Christ get he had a bunch of followers, and they were ready, and, uh, and, and then that came and went. But you know, in history, a lot of people have tried to pinpoint, you know, what's going to happen. You know, think we're talking about the end times in the first century. Did you know that? That this, we could be upon the end times. And you think about things in history and... You know, maybe events in history that people were probably convinced. Think about what people were going through in some, some of the older folks in World War II and the rise of Hitler. And, there were people writing that they thought that the end was, was right upon the doorstep. There was a pope in the 1200s that wrote, wrote about that he made the declaration about the end coming, I think it was 1280 that, the, that Christ would return. As we know, that came and went a couple years ago. And so there's so much talked about, there's so many things talked about, and, 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 and there's infatuation with it. We see movies about, not necessarily Jesus returning, but, you know, the apocalypse, the you know, the, this, this, the end of the world. There's a lot of preachers that, I mean, their, their passion is to preach about the end times, eschatology, which is the study of last things, and, you know, they have charts and all kinds of pictures, and, and those guys kind of freak me out sometimes. but. Uh, I'm glad that they're excited about it, but uh, you know, and and, and and so you have these, a lot of preachers that, that teach on that. But when will the end of the age be? What's going to happen? When will Christ come back? And so all of these topics are kind of out there, and and, and and as we as we look about what is going to happen, we see a lot of things in the world that are happening right now, and and as believers we think, you know, could the return of Christ be soon? So the Word of God gives us some answers and sets some light on these subjects, but here's what we're going to get. It doesn't give us every answer or all the details. But in reading and studying it and and walking with Christ, we can know what lives we should be living. So before we get to the book of Revelation and the very end, I want to quickly talk about what is said about the return of Christ in Scripture. There's a couple of verses that we see in Scripture. So here's one of them in Acts 1. Remember, Jesus is telling his followers, go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will come. He said, you know, the, the, the promised gift is coming. And then he ascends. And there, it says the followers were there, and they give an account in Acts. You know, Luke is writing this book, and he says, you know, we watched them leave. And he ascends. And then right after his ascension, here's one of the verses. As they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, then when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from here to heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so they said, He is going to return. He told you He would. He promised He would. And He will come. What did Jesus say about His return? This is a passage that many of us are are very familiar with. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled because he's talking to the disciples. This is before his crucifixion. He's telling them things that are going to happen. He's not giving them details, but they're heavy-hearted. He's talking about leaving. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I'm not just trying to give you empty promises here. I'm telling you the truth. If it weren't going to happen, I would have told you, and I'm going to play, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, I will take you to w- be with me, and you also may, may be where I am. You know the way I've done the place where I'm going. And ultimately, remember, Thomas says, well, we, yeah, we, we, we know who you are, but how do we know? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. He made a very exclusive statement in John 14. Not my statement, it's not even a church's statement. That was a statement by Jesus that everyone has to wrestle with. He said, He is the way to sleep in the life. There are not many other ways. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. It doesn't pick your favorite path. Jesus exclusively said that He is the way to heaven. Paul writes about it, 1 Thessalonians. is the last one I'll look out upon uh, 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 the eminency of His return. 1 Thessalonians 4 13 through 18. Paul and brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep and death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So we, we can grieve, and when we lose loved ones, we, there is a grief. But he said you have to grieve with no hope. And we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him or who died. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that when we do, who are still alive, who are left into the coming of the Lord, we certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. What does he say? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That just means their bodies will meet with their spirits in the air. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. This is where we get that word rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. You won't find it. But this is the word what we get. It's a catching away. Um, there will be a time where, where where Christ comes back. Those who are dead in Christ. Those who have died, it just means their bodies will meet their souls, and then we who are alive will be instantaneously out of here. <laughs> it will be a very dramatic happening, but we will return. And we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, near, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then listen to what Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we're encouraging each other with these words that he's coming back. The promises is that he's coming back. You know what validates? That he is come back is that he rose from the dead. That's why the disciples that died as martyrs, they said, we saw him, he did rise from the dead. He did defeat death, so what he said is true. And if he makes a promise that he's going to return, he will. And so now we're in this holding pattern where a lot of people say, you know, when's he coming? And it seems like he should be here already. And what more can happen? And it seems like his coming is true. Well, they've been talking about that for hundreds of years. So we encourage each other with these words. So Jesus will return, but we don't know when. Jesus even tells us. We don't know the day or the hour. So this sermon isn't to debate when he will return. If you're pre-trip, mid-trip, post we're not talking about that today. I'm not going to have charts and dates and all that kind of stuff. Okay? There's a lot of debate over that. And, I'm not, and that's not my intention today. But he is going to return. Let's live with all agree on that. The return of Christ is imminent. He's coming back. We may live to see it, but we all, we we, 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 this generation, we might die. And so, whether or not we see his return or we die, guess what? There is an end of the age for all of us, right? We're going to end one way or the other. Either we're going to go with him, or we're going to die and see him and stand before him. And so, we, either way, there's an end. We do not pay attention, uh, or we do need to know, and, and we do pay attention to the things that are happening. I mean, we're told to pay attention. Signs of the end of the age. Jesus, if you want to study about that, Matthew 24. Um, it's called His Olive That, He's on Mount Olive, and He gives this discourse to what's going to be happening. And He says you are signs to the end of the age. He said there to be wars and famines and natural disasters, persecutions. There's going to be great spiritual darkness that comes. There's going to be deceptions, false teachings, false signs and wonders. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he said, all of these things must come. He said, but they're going to be like birth pains. And all of our moms understand that word. And dads who have held their hand and have been squeezed understand that word too. Not as much as tomorrow. I'm not even going to go there. But Jesus, Jesus, he, he, he gives a parallel birth pains. And birth pains, is what he says, says it, is as they get closer and closer, the baby's coming pretty soon. And Jesus said, pay attention to the signs. Don't be freaked out. Don't live in fear. Understand that these things are going to happen. And so Jesus makes this promise. He said, these are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. But how did Jesus live? Did he live in fear that his death was coming? He lived in the reality that was coming. But he was redeeming the time while he was on the earth. And if we are his followers, we redeem the time that we have until his return, where well, he takes it home. And so we be we're, we're, we're to be watchful, mindful, but not living in fear, but great faith. You see, all these things will happen so that the light of Jesus will shine bright in the darkness so that many will come to Christ before He returns or they die. Jesus wants souls. He loves people. And He uses all things to draw people to Himself. So even the end of the age, He will be used to draw people to Himself where the Gospel will go into all of the world. That was another one of the signs of the end was when the Gospel is preached in all the world. Why? Because Jesus loves people. And then Peter writes, he said, about the end times, he said, and he gives us a little uh, explanation of what's going to happen. He says, since these things are going to happen, what lives should you be living? What kind of life should you live? Last week we talked, Paul talked about enduring to the end. Don't get caught up in the things that don't matter. Don't let the enemy distract you and keep you off of things that really matter. That's what His job is, to try to detract you and get you caught up in little skirmishes, putting out little fires that don't really matter, really, for what really matters. If there's a real eternity, that is awaiting us. There will be a real judgment. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. They are literal. Jesus taught about hell. He taught about heaven. He, again, He didn't say... You know, the, the, well, you know, the, these things are you know just kind of making you feel better. He said, we're not so told you so." So he did a lot of teaching about a literal hell and a literal heaven, and a lot of people wrestle with that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But a lot of people wrestle with this whole eternal idea of separation from God, living in hell. It's real, and it's not again to be making you feel afraid, but it's a sober reality so, with that, that is why we have Revelation, the book of Revelation, is to give us hope and faith. We get to see the end of the story. Anybody like me that sometimes you like to know the end? My family gets a little irritated with me when, when, after I've seen a movie, and they go, Well, it was it good? And I start giving too much information. I won't tell them the end, but I, I inevitably know, and they, 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 they know me too well, they're telling me back there, but I usually give too much information. They're like, No, you're, 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 you're telling us the plot, you're. Because I get excited about, like, you know, to tell you what's going to happen. Well, with Revelation, we get to see what's going to happen at the end. And if you don't, if you never read it, well, man, stay tuned. I get to tell you about the end today. that. That makes me excited. But it gives us great hope and faith. So no matter how bad things might get, if they get hard personally, and again, Paul, in his, in his ministry, in his life, he said, sometimes you're, you're going to endure things. He endured many things, part of sufferings. He said, you can endure it knowing that you have an eternal hope. If things get dark on the earth, we have an eternal hope. We don't have to live in fear and intimidation. And so it's somewhat like a replay of the first century church. I mean, they are people are coming to know Christ though it but the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Great persecution, but yet great salvation and transformed lives. You know that's what Peter has done. They're they beaten for preaching, and what do they do? They come out of the temple after being beaten, and they say, "Thank you, Jesus, we get to be beaten on behalf of you." And, and so there's great joy. They didn't live in fear. They said, "We will continue to preach and to proclaim the gospel." They live with an eternal hope. So we're going to jump into Revelation here in the next bit, and then quickly run through it. The book of Revelation is intriguing. Some of it's confusing in some places. But it's exciting. It's a bit scary. And so there's a whole lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot, there's a whole lot going on in this book. And some of it's symbolism. Some of it's, you know, uh, literal. I mean, you see dragons and beasts and multiple heads and horns and numbers and symbols all throughout. And so the un- the unknown can be intimidating and scary. That's why I'm always fascinated by people that just they, they're new in the faith and they want to jump right into Revelation like read John, get to know who Jesus is you know, read a Paul's letters maybe see how it is to walk with Christ and then maybe a few years you read it then, I mean it's okay if you want to read it but then they'll come to you the eyes go, well, what about that beast with two horns and that dope and they're killed you know? and, and they want to really know that stuff and you're like, yeah relax let's talk about Jesus But we have to change kind of the way we read it. You know, it says in, it says you're blessed if you read it and hear it. I like that it says that not if you understand it all. Okay, just read it to me. If that's the blessing reason, I don't get half of it, but that's okay. You're blessed if you read it and you hear it. So when we hear it and we read it, we're blessed. And so we're going to kind of transition how we look at it today. We're not going to try to figure out all the symbols. We're not going to do a symbol study. I'm not going to have charts and things and goats and heads and symbols and you know dragons. I'm not going to do that. There's some people again that they, they, they like to do that, and I get a little nervous when people have and they, they tell me they can explain all of Revelation because you know what it says it says don't add or take away to this book, or the flags of this book will come upon you. So I'm like got be very careful uh, to get out the show so we're not going to do that. So if we change the way we read it, it doesn't have to be careful, but it actually will give us great hope when we see things unfold. In fact, at the beginning of it, and you see it up here, right at the beginning, we're given the, the title and the purpose of the book. Revelation 1-1, the revelation of who? It's a revelation of Him which God gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And so we read it to get a revelation of Jesus. And if we belong to Him, we don't have to fear what is ahead. We can run the race of endurance successfully by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. So this book is a revelation of Him. So a little, little, just a little backdrop. Revelations written by John, one of the disciples. He's on the island of Patmos. It is a prison island that he was sent to. Ten of the twelve apostles were martyred for their faith. We know what happened with Judas. John is exiled to the prison of island Patmos, where he received this revelation from Jesus. He had refused to worship, you know, and, and give honor to, and in verse so he is sent. Um, Some historians, theologians, believe that John was boiled in oil and and supernaturally survived it. And so I think that they they just put him on this island in exile, saying, okay, that guy just freaks me out. I mean, the oil oil didn't kill him. Let's let's just put him out there somewhere. So God had a purpose for for, for keeping John alive, and so he has this revelation. An angel comes in and gives him this revelation. it's interesting, um, Revelation 2 and 3, there's these letters to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Um, these are letters from Jesus to the church, and I think that you can look at those, even how Paul, when he wrote letters to the churches, and when we looked at that, is what, he, what, what God is speaking to the church. And if you did a study on going to do that today, um, I, I've, I've done a little bit of that in the past, but Revelation 2 and 3 is a letter from Jesus to the churches, and what, we, what he says is, here's what you're doing well, here's what you need to work on. Don't we all need that? As the Lord speaks to you, and and and, and this maintenance required word that Carrie had to say is, here's what you're doing well. Don't, don't 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 live in shame and condemnation. God sees you, what you do well, but look at what you need work on. Repent of the sin that you're in. Move on. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and, and and but don't wait. And that's what He kind of does in these seven letters. What they need to work on. What He loves about them. Listen, obey, and follow Him. So, we're going to look at five revelations of Jesus from the book of Revelation. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question is, as we look through it, who is Jesus? What is He saying Himself in the midst of all that's going to be happening? What is our future? Whether we die or whether He returns. Let's look at the revelation of Jesus because it's all about Him. Here's the first revelation. First revelation. You can look at these chapters one through three. Again, I'm not going to read long uh, excerpts from the book. But revelations one through three. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega and he is returning soon. And I know a lot of, soon is relative. We know that Jesus is in no hurry. He's not anxious, or stressed out. But he says I, he's returning soon. And, uh, and they, they, they knew this from the first century. They just kind of said He could return at any time. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's returning soon. Revelation 1 says, Look, He is coming with the clouds. Again, this is another promise of His return. And every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. And these are the people that have rejected Him. So shall it be, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And what He's saying in this revelation so is that I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's the Greek alphabet in our would say I am the A to the Z. I was there before the foundations of the earth. I was there when we laid the foundations of the earth. I was a part of creation. Colossians one that says that Jesus was a part of creation. I was there at the beginning and I will be there at the end. And then the Alpha and the Omega, I will be there at the end. So there we get the first glance of the end. Who's going to be there? Jesus. You don't have to fear because I will be there at the end. The ending is the good news. Jesus wins. Alright, that's it. This is good. Not, so, not so soon. Don't, don't, don't get up yet. Jesus wins. And what he says is, I, I've always been and I always will be. It's interesting that this description the of Jesus that we get right after that, John, he says, here's John, who, he, remember, he's called the beloved disciple. He calls himself that, which I like that. I mean, he's kind of confident. Yeah, there's Peter, and then there's the beloved disciple. In the book of John, he calls himself, I, the, the one who Jesus loves, this guy. Um, those guys had a little bit of problem, like you know, like comparing themselves with each other. But John had loved him, worked with him, walked with him for three years. Watch when he sees Jesus in all of His glory. Watch this. So this is Jesus, and he gets to see the hair on His head was like like white as wool, as white as snow, and His eyes are like blazing fire. This is the glorified Jesus. His feet were like bronze glowing in the front of him. And his voice was like the sound of the rushing waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And so, right there, he's similar. he's holding seven stars. This simply a symbolism. If you read on, the seven stars represent the seven angels who are over the seven churches. Remember the letters to the seven churches? That's all that is. It's not like, you know. Don't get too weirded out by that. But then, out of his mouth comes what? A sharp sword. What is that? Hebrews 4, 12 says, The Word of God is like a double-edged sword. Out of his mouth is the Word of God. That is why we definitely need to adhere to the Word of God. Jesus, at the end of the age, will be speaking the Word. And how important is the Word of God to us? Do we value the Word of God? And so then, we'll look at John's response, this one who had walked with him. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is awe and glory and majesty of the glorified Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. There is a repeat of that. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. and Now hold the keys of death and Hades, of death and hell. So, it's the awe of Jesus and the glory, the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last. And John's like, I've never seen him like this before. And he falls down. And here again, we see the gospel unfold. And it unfolds over and over in the book of Revelation. He dies, but no, he is alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and hell. Will you he belong to him or not? It's our choice. And he's returning soon. So, that's the first revelation. 2nd Revelation, this is in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Does that sound familiar? Over and over in the book of Revelation, through, through this point, He is called the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, beloved Lamb of God. It says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who is worthy to open the scroll. Uh, the scroll mentioned is held by God, sealed with seven seals. This is actually talking about a, 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 a one of the series of judgments that's coming upon the earth, and it's a declaration of what is going to come to the people of the earth. And this angel before the reading here, the angel says, "Who's worthy to open the scroll?" And he said, I found none worthy to open the scroll. John can't find anyone uh, who can who can open the scroll. And he he's free, but then he sees something. And God is showing him in a vision, the only one who has authority and power. And he came, yes, he was a king, but he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation 5, 6 through 10. Then I saw a lamb in this vision, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the Center of the throne, and by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, because are the seven spirits of God, and into all the earth. We're not going to get into all that. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. And when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Did you know that your prayers matter? He didn't think? Read this passage. And they sang a new song, saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God, purchased from every tribe and language and people and nation. It won't just be Scandinavians in the kingdom. Every tribe, people, tongues, languages—they're all going to be there. And we see this beautiful picture unfold that Jesus purchased salvation for all of mankind." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And that's the promise of those who belong to Christ. We will rule and reign with them. And then you flash back, and so this vision, he sees this lamb. Who's worthy? I can't find anyone worthy to open this the seals. And, and they looked, and this lamb comes forward. And it's remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came as our high priest, but also the Lamb who would offer Himself. It's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. He is our sacrificial lamb. He is the sacrifice for your sins and my sin. He's the Lamb of God. Hebrews 9 he says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." Thank God that Jesus shed His blood that we would not have to suffer our own consequences for our judgment. But you have to surrender your life to Him. And He is the one that's w- worthy of to open school. The readers would understand this vision. It's God is showing John that Jesus is the Passover lamb. So this even goes back in the replay of the Passover lamb back in Egypt. Remember when they were captive in the first time where just, like it says, all the people, it says, sacrifice a lamb. And they would put the, the blood of the, the doorposts and over. And then when the blood would drip, what does that look like? It was foreshadowing the cross and the price that Jesus would pay for them. And the readers would understand that this was pointing back to Jesus being the Passover Lamb. He is the Lamb worthy to open the scroll. He's the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice for our sins. Here's the third Revelation. These are ch- this is this is a this is the largest part of the Revelation. This is where a lot of eschatology people, preachers, studiers, they spend a lot of their time here, from chapters like six through eighteen. But what is the revelation of Jesus? Jesus is the righteous judge. He is the righteous judge. And for you Bible, maybe Bible geeks that like to know what's going on, I'm just going to tell you, here's a few things that are going on, and because it's a big it's you a, it's a in your, 6 to 18, there's a lot going on here. But here's a few things that are happening. Number one is, uh, you know, and I got this up here, the temple in Israel will be rebuilt. It's so things that are coming at the end of the age. You know, you can see that. I've got the, uh, the, the passage in Revelation 11, through 2. The Antichrist, he is called the beast. He will rise up and he will institute the mark of the beast. There's a lot of debate on what that is. Is that microchip? What's going to happen with all that? Um, uh, you know, it, it, well, it, it, it's going to happen. We know that the Antichrist is killed and raised back to life because he's the Antichrist. He's the antithesis of Christ, and so he's going to. Uh, there's going to be a false sign and wonder here. Um, he's going to. The Bible says he'll take a wound to the head. We don't know what that is. We're, 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 most people assume that he's assassinated, but this is where it says the devil will enter him. The devil himself will enter him. He, he, study that, and, and that's one of the things that's happen he'll be raised back to life, and he will be demanding worship, and so a lot of crazy kind of things are happening. Then there's a, two witnesses that will perform, they are, they, their God appoints, uh, two witnesses to perform miracles, and they will preach. The witnesses are murdered and then raised back to life. These guys are pretty, it's kind of wild when you're about them, Um before their time to die, there will be people that go against them and they have kind of a way to prevent people getting to them It's just fire will come out of their mouths and consume people. Wow. So, um, stay tuned for that. But they, they, they will they will be assassinated and evaded back to life. Um, then the Antichrist uh, will assassinate world leaders. Most people interpret that the Antichrist will assassinate world leaders and move to a one-world government. This is Daniel 7 from 4, Revelation 17, 12-13. And then ultimately, the the demise of the Antichrist is defeated and on again in the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 16. And so you see all this stuff happening. Again, I want to just pause. These are science to pay attention to, but not to try to figure all out of exactly when it's going to happen. It's just pay attention to them. That's one of the things that says, reader, pay attention. Doesn't so say try to figure it out. Live in a hole in the ground, wait for Jesus to return, uh, trembling and, uh, you know, eating soup out of a can. I, I, you know, you can do that in your store up. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a plan. There should be. But I'm saying don't live in fear, and live in faith. Because Jesus is going to be moving, and there's going, be, there's going to be great darkness, and there's going to be great light. And there's going to be a great time, I think, of revival. And keep your eyes on Jesus, and not the signs. Does that make sense? Keep your eyes on Jesus, and not the signs. But again, the simple thing, the revelation of Revelation, Jesus as the righteous Judge. So all these things are, you know, have these written. You can study about them on your own time. There are three sets of judgment that are issued to the earth. is um, the seal judgment. We just got who who is worthy to open the seal. The seal judgment, followed by the trumpet judgment, followed by the bowl judgment. Or I might have just had those intertwined there. Uh, it's either the bull or the trumpet, I'm not sure. But though these judgments are... are in, the, in the midst of these judgments, there's a lot of bad things happening. And you can read it. I mean, I mean, there's a lot going on on the earth. A lot of people dying. There's lots of massive disasters that are happening. And But through all of these things, God is still giving an opportunity for people to turn from their sin and to turn to Him why those two witnesses are going to be preaching and proclaiming people are going to come to Christ because of the tradition you hand, there you going to a people that there are going to be people that turn from their and the Christ. Through all of the judgment, God's intention, even with judgment, is that people would come to know Christ. I and mean, that's the discipline of God is when you feel conviction and you feel that sense of that God is saying, you know that you don't need to do that. You need to you know you need to sleep in that. It's not that He's bringing shame in you. It's actually He's giving you an opportunity for life. So there's still grace in the midst of justice. It's that behold the kindness and severity of God. And remember what it says to us, it says, in justice, remember mercy? Well, that's, that's God. In His justice, there is mercy. Not, and, and the thing is, is, when things are going awry, people tend to think about eternity. I and mean, they there's a tendency to turn toward God. When 9-11 happened, the, the, there were churches in New York City that were filled with people. They, labor, they come and run in trying to, what is going on? And so when things get bad, God is going to be looking for churches and people that He trusts. Say, what is going on? And we're, instead of us you falling into a hole in the ground, we can say, come on, we're all going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we hope that people come to know the Lord in judgment. God still wants mercy. You know how all this will happen, when it will happen, are mysterious. The mark of the beast, what that, what is that, and how is that going to, you know, be? And, and again, it's not 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 to say that we don't think about these things, but don't dwell on it where it brings fear to you. Do not live in fear, but live completely surrendered to Jesus. And then we can recognize when these things are happening. The way you walk in discernment is that you're walking with Christ. And this is heavy stuff. I mean, this is where a lot of people have a hard time. They might say, well. You're God's judgment. This is the faith. This is wrong. But although this is hard and this is heavy, when you read it, what we're seeing is righteous judgment by a true and righteous judge. You know, every one of us have a sense of justice, right? When someone breaks the law, we just we demand justice. Some, you know, it's, easy, it's easy to kind of push it off if it doesn't directly affect you, but I guarantee if you have you know, something that affects you or one of your loved ones, you want justice. That's why we have justice in place. If someone commits a crime, there's justice we serve, and we all have a sense of justice. Well, where do we get that? Where do we get the sense of justice in our lives? If we're created in the image of God, He is the perfect and true, just judge and then wrongdoing has consequences. We desire that what was wrong be made right. Here's the problem when we don't like justice is we want grace for ourselves and justice for others. And that's why we can look at God and say, well, it's not fair that He would judge the earth. And actually, it's perfectly fair. And what we're seeing in these series and these sets of judgments are... The God, the righteous judge, He's perfect, He is loving, but He is judging the earth for its sinfulness. There has to be a, a time of reckoning. And there would be justice that is placed upon the earth. That's why the world groans because of, when, when sin entered, the world began to groan it to be made right. Because before sin, everything was working in har- harmony and it worked perfectly as God created it. Sin threw it out all out of order. And so this restoration of all things to be made right again, because that's ultimately what Jesus will do, is He will set things that were wrong, He will make them right once again. Well, that can only happen through justice. And so what you have here, instead of looking at God and saying, well, it's not fair, is it's a perfectly just judge putting justice for, on the earth for its sin plans. Let's look at what Revelation 16, 5-7. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, What does he say? You are just in your judgment. O Holy One, you who are and were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them the blood to drink what they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The judgment is true, and he is a righteous judge. Here's the thing. Here's the sobering reality. And we're told this every single one of us will stand face to face before that righteous judge. The one that John saw, remember when he fell out like a dead man and saw fire in his eyes, hair white like wool, this man Jesus that he would walked with, that he saw in all his glory. every one of us will stand one on one and we will look at him and he will look at us and we will be judged those who don't know Christ, the judgment is going to be way more severe than even believers. There's a judgment seat of Christ where we will give an answer. Obviously not an eternal, because if you put our trust in Jesus, that judgment passes is when we get to go ahead. His judgments are just. And here's the thing, too, about unfairness. We all deserve hell. We all deserve it, the worst to punch me we're all sins. See, we what, what, what most people think like to think is, is man is inherently good. Down in the depths of man, they're really good. And we are not. Get that out of your mind. There's humanism all over the earth and if we can be better and be good enough, we can never be good enough. Good enough is to be exactly like Jesus Christ. How are you doing? I'm failing miserably. And that's why we need him. He is the just judge. The fourth revelation. These are chapters 19 through 20. We're winding down here. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords and he will return with his church. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open there before me with a white horse. This rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Again, there is a description of him. He's called faithful. He's called true. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Isn't that a little scary and creepy and awesome all at the same time? A robe dipped in blood. He is the Word of God. Again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The, the Word was God. John tells us in John 1. The armies of heaven were following Him. Those to belong, that's us. If you belong to Jesus. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, I think that that's, that's the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own merit. It's not our own goodness. Coming out of His mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He spreads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The awesomeness of Jesus. He will stand alone. He is victorious. He will rule. He will reign. He will win. He will be triumphant. No one will defeat him. He will stand alone at the end of the age. He is not someone elected to the office of Messiahship. This is not a democracy. This is not a buffet Jesus. I'll take a little of this and a little of that, but I don't like this. I'll take social justice Jesus, but I don't like Him calling me to repentance. It is Jesus in all His glory. You get all of Him in all of His glory. He is the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords, and there is no one like Him. 5th Revelation, final one. Chapter 21 through 22. It's the end of the book. Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And he takes his bride to the heavenly city to be with him forever and ever. Guys, for guys, this can be a little bit uncomfortable. You guys are going to be the bridegroom and I'm the bride. Well, it's not a gender thing. It's just an identity where we are told that the church is the bride of Christ. Paul even says in marriage. Remember, he's talking about earthly marriage. He says, you should love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." And then he goes on to say, and "He said is an earthly marriage.' He says, I speak to you. It's not even really. I mean, yes, it has something to do with man and woman. I'm revealing a mystery. It's called Christ and the church.'" And he loves us as a bride loves his bride. Again, this is not a weird gender. It's just an identity thing that to the people of God. It reveals the gospel. That he loves us with an everlasting love. And we heard that earlier. The intensity of his love, if you could know, what Paul groaned about Ephesians, if you could know the love of God, it would change everything that he has a plan and purpose for us, that he cares deeply for us, that he demonstrates his love as a bridegroom. He says, here's how much I love you. I'll lay my life down for you. Don't we love those kinds of romantic stories most of us guys are like, you know, I like romantic stuff. I watch sick with my wife. Don't judge me. Some of you guys could learn a lot by watching Pride and Prejudice. Just saying, I, I, I <laughs> sorry. I just ruined the movie if you didn't see it, so there you go, I told you earlier that that might happen, so God bless you, and you're welcome, but we love these, you know, and Jesus says, I display my love, here's what I feel for you, it's the cross, I gave my life to you, I laid down my life for you. He demonstrated that 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 was his payment for us as bride, the church. And we become his bride when we say yes to him, and we say yes to him, surrendering our lives to him, forsaking us to stop living our own way, live His way. When we do this, we have confidence in spending eternity with Him forever. And in the Bible, you can look at this end. that there's a silver warning for those who forsake Him and they reject Him and they do the thing that people have done. The self-ordship, I will do it my own way. I forsake Jesus. I don't want Jesus. There is a silver warning. And says those that forsake Him, those who live a life of sin, those who choose to live life without Him, those who will do their own way, they will be cast away and they will be judged eternally. They will be given what they have taken upon themselves a judgment that Jesus paid for and they rejected. It. it will be an eternity apart from Him in hell, a real, literal hell. And as much as the world and culture wants to say, well, is hell literal? Can we really believe that God would send people to hell? Can we, and you hear all the debates, and you'll hear all of the arguments, and you'll hear philosophies of man, and you'll hear humanism, and we need to cut that off. What comes out of Jesus' mouth is the Word of God. If you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God, there is a literal judgment of hell. Again, that's not to be scary. That's not to be, but There is a judgment. And yes, It's literal. Jesus thought about it more than probably any other subject. And yes, love wins, if you're familiar with the book, because Jesus wins, but there is a judgment, and that book wants to ignore hell. Well, it can't be. It can't be. Well, if you read the Bible, it is. And Jesus gives us His Word. And then the choice is ours. And so then you see this passage. Uh, one of the seven angels had the seven bowls full of seven last flakes Came and said, "You come on. show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb." And he carried me away in the spirit in a mountain great and And showed me the holy city mission coming down out of heaven from God. This is the new heaven and new earth that's coming down. Jesus is the bridegroom. He takes his bride, the church, his followers, those who have surrendered their lives to him and endured to the end whether the very end or in death, and He takes them to the heavenly city that He promised. Remember what Jesus said, John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. This is the place coming down. And then we see these promises unfold. The promise is Jesus. The promise is Jesus. We get Jesus. And you know the the description, and we get this around the streets of gold and all the wonderful things that are in heaven, that's going to be great, but we get Jesus. He's the reward. Listen to what it says, Revelation 21, 23. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun and the moon shining or for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its Lamb. It's all about Him. He will be seen above all. Revelation 22, 1-5. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, since given John's in the vision the description of heaven is clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding in its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him no longer in curse. Who removed the curse? Jesus did. They will see His face. Isn't that beautiful? They will see His face and His name will be up on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, but the Lord of God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And you're going to either spend eternity with Him or without Him. And that is your choice. You seed faith, the promise of Him. when we get there, it's going to be all worth it. It's going to be worth it. And here's the end of the story Revelation 22 17. The Spirit and the God say, What? Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let, let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Here's what I love about the end of the story. Here's the living water. Who's the living water? We you looked at that, remember, that was one of the titles of Jesus. The living water Jesus, He's making His appeal again at the end of the book. It's always been about loving people. It's always been about redeeming people. It's always been about saving people. And at the end of the story, this revelation John sees the the living, the living water Jesus, He's making His appeal once again. Let who thirst to come who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, salvation? Who's this sound like? Doesn't this sound like his interaction with the woman at the well? I see that you're thirsty. Drink of the water I give, and you'll never thirst again. And here's the living water, making an appeal again at the end of the book. Whoever's thirsty, come to Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. The only way you get forgiveness for sins. He's the only way to have eternal life and it's a free gift that you pay for by Him that you will never thirst again. Where else do you get that deal? Nowhere. And so many people just say, reject Him. Push Him away. They push Him away for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes it's what they see in the church. And the church has a lot of repenting to do and, and we need to make it lot right. But people push away and they push away and they push away and Jesus is saying, if you knew what you had in me, we would stop pushing away. And that's why the church has to be on a mission to reveal the authenticity of to the world. And then the last words, he who testifies of these things says yes, I am coming am soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. These the last words. I am coming soon. Isn't that funny that it says come soon as soon as the relative term? But doesn't life go by very fast? Athena and I were able to go out on our, our date last night. We celebrated 24 years of marriage tomorrow. Yeah. It's the grace of God that she still likes me. So um, God is real. Um, we were just, kind of, you know, we went on a date last time we were driving back home, and, and we were just struck by just kind of replaying the years of our lives and saying, Because whether you know, Jesus, I'm coming soon. your relative thing of Him returning or us dying. It's going back quickly. Whether we see His return. Whether we die, it's going to happen soon. Just question: Are you ready? Are you ready? Because you can have assurance today. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till you feel like it. Some other time, we're not even guaranteed to really walk out of this room and nothing's going to not happen to us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ every day literally live for Him. Need Him. Humble yourself before Him day by day because He loves you. The end of the story isn't the end of the story. So what will happen at the end? You're waiting. Jesus will be at the end. That's the end of the story. Jesus will be at the end. He's alive. He's real. He's victorious. And we can rule and reign with Him and be in heaven with Him for all of eternity. I'm surprised you weren't more excited about that. And then whatever happens, let it come. Whatever may come, may come. If it's the end of the age and all of these things and the the dominoes start dropping and we start seeing all these biblical things unfold or we get to the end of of the journey of our lives, we can still leap from this life into the next life and wake up and see Him face to face. It takes living for Him every day. The assurance is to live for Him. Every day. Every day. We will behold him. So let's be ready. Let's stay ready. Let's let our life down. Let's redeem the time that we've been given. And I like this song by him. at the end. It says, Take he time or call us home. Here in the love of Christ. That's for So we stand with you as we pray.